The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. If you're a bar owner, want to become a bar owner, if you're an operator or a mixologist, you can't afford not to attend a nightclub and bar show. All the new products will be there, thousands of new promotions, the best operators in the world, about 80 educational programs. It's the biggest opportunity of the year to boost your sales or to get into the bar business. And by the way, I'm doing the keynote and opening the show. If you want to go to the nightclub and bar show, check out ncbshow.com. That's ncbshow.com. If you want to be in a bar business or be successful in a bar business, you'll be at the nightclub and bar show. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, here we go. It's my No Excuses podcast. What is this, Corey, number 38? Yeah, 38. Number 38, March 4th, 2019. And before we get going, please do me a favor. Hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Wow, man, this is a big week for me, Corey. Yeah, it is. So I just finished my third episode of Bar Rescue, new season. Yep. And we've been shooting down in Tampa, Florida for three weeks, did three episodes. One of them was the most emotional episode I've ever had in Bar Rescue. And it has an ending that we've never done before. And I wish I could tell everybody about it, but here's what's amazing. Nope, I didn't walk out. I did remodel the bar, but I didn't give it to the owner. It's an amazing story how things work out in Bar Rescue. One thing I've learned after 171 of them is you can never forecast what's going to happen, Corey. That's why it's so interesting to me. You know, I know I'm going to remodel a bar. I know I'm going to meet people. I might scream at them. I, might, I know all that going in. But yet everyone is so unique, I can't get over it. So, Corey, I have been living Bar Rescue for the past month. Let me tell you why. So I started a new season. So we started shooting three weeks ago. So I just finished three episodes. And... New episodes premiered last night, yep. and I was just told that, that we're about to do even more after the 12 that I'm making now. Holy. So it looks like Bar Rescue is going to go past 200 episodes, and we're sitting at about 172 now. Wow. That's good news. It is good news, and it's unbelievable. I, I thought I'd make a pilot and go home to tell you the truth. I never <laughs> thought ever that it would last this long, and you know, it would be almost obnoxious to think that, oh, I'm going to... Make it to season two, three, four, five, six. Well, we're approaching season season seven, and I'm really, really excited about it. So I'm, like, so immersed in Bar Rescue at the moment that I thought it would be fun to pull out a list of all of the Bar Rescues I've done and tell some amazing stories okay. about Bar Rescue. And I'm going to start with the very first episode, which was Fallen Angels. And uh, in Fallen Angels, we had an owner, female owner. And those of you might remember, it was a heavy episode, and she had a strip club and a sports bar, and I believe we named it The Rack when it was finished, as, as sort of a hats off to her endowments, if you will. But the amazing thing about that episode is I shot that episode, and this was a, a, a nice person, I want to mention names. The owner was a very, very nice woman, a sexy woman, a beautiful woman. And after shooting the episodes for four days, Corey, I walked out 
I'm going to my car to leave, and it was the first time I ever saw her car. Hmm. Her car was a big Ford Explorer, but her license plate was, you ready? Yeah. Sharded. What? <laughs> yes. Her, her license plate was sharded, which was an amazing <laughs> thing to see when, when uh, uh, you looked at who she was and how she behaved. And anyway, I've never seen such a shocker as, as seeing her license plate sharded. And that's what I wow. remember about that episode. That was my first episode of Bar Rescue. My second episode was Downies and Out in Philadelphia. And I'll never forget uh, uh, Downies in Philadelphia. I wanted the owner to forget about the past. So I took him up in a balcony and I told him to take one of his old shitty chairs and throw it off the balcony. And he did. And it hit the front of a city bus. Oh, crap. (laughs) That was my remembrance from the second episode of Bar Rescue. The third episode of Bar Rescue is a fascinating story. Because the third episode of Bar Rescue was the first time I ever got into an argument with production. And not my network, because my network is great now. But years ago, uh, 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 in the Spike days, they wanted me to fake something at the Abbey in Chicago. And one of their vice presidents had flown in and tried to take control of the show, and he wanted me to fake something. And I had an understanding in the very early days of Bar Rescue that it had to be real and I wouldn't fake anything. Well, he faked something. I got furious, looked at him. Corey, I'm telling you the absolute truth. I looked at him and I told him to to go F himself and to leave my show. And the vice president of the network went down to a McDonald's four blocks away and sat there for five and a half hours (laughs) while the president of the production company and the senior vice president of the network flew in. So now the show production has stopped. All the crew of 57 crew is sitting around and standing. Everybody's waiting. This vice president is sitting in the McDonald's, and I'm a raving freaking maniac. So the senior vice president of then Spike, whose name I won't mention, lands, and we take a walk around the block together. And this is in, in suburban Chicago at the Abbey. And as we're walking around the block, he says to me, John, he goes, I get it. We want to keep everything real. And, you know, we can have creative disagreements, but listen to me. You can't tell the vice president of the network to go F himself. You can't do that. Well, unfortunately, I probably did that a few extra times, but that was the uh, the uh, few additional times, I That's should awesome. say. But that was the first time Bar Rescue ever shut down. And it was a powerful thing for me because the question became, was I prepared to walk away from having a television show? And it's an interesting thing. And a lot of reality stars don't land where I did because a lot of reality is faked. We know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and I hate when people call my show fake because the other ones are because mine's not. But, you know, that was the moment where I actually said to myself, am I going to sell my soul and am I going to allow this to be fake or not? And, you know, sometimes we can all relate to this. My personal integrity meant more to me than my wallet at that time. So I said no and walked away. And that was a, a powerful moment. That was the third episode at the Abbey, episode 103. Then we moved to the Blue Frog in Chicago. I don't know if you remember that one. That was my first family episode. And I'll never forget how that was uh, owned by a family. And I threw the mom out and I made the kids run it without the mom. And uh, I talk with them all the time. It's a really nice family. And uh, whenever I'm in Chicago, I always go back and see them. I think that's a big question a lot of people ask. I know I see on the emails is do you ever keep in contact with anybody 
So that's that's good to know. I do. And, and, you know, sometimes when I'm in town, I'll call them or stop by. Sometimes they call me out of the blue, and I'll hear from them on birthday and stuff. The next one we did was in Boston, Massachusetts, and that was the chicken bone. And those of you saw that episode. The most frustrating part of the chicken bone to me was that there was a train about 30 feet from the property that during rush hour ran every three minutes. Oh, geez. So whenever I talked, I had to talk in three-minute bursts and stop and talk for three minutes and stop. And talk. For, and I got into this pattern, uh, 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 which was unbelievable, and, and we pulled it off. But that was the one that I remember about that was the unbelievable train. Well, in my business, I hire an awful lot of people. And when it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person's on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. LinkedIn Job uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. And people come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Your LinkedIn job matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. So post a job today at linkedin.com slash Taffer and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Taffer. And then we move to the episode that was called Bar Fight with the baseball player in your Belinda at the Canyon Inn. And here's the funny part about that episode. I fought with him to change the name of that episode because I thought Canyon Inn sounded like a hotel. Well, he fought me. He fought me. Changed the name back as soon as I left. Corey, weeks later, I got a phone call from him weeks after the show aired telling me that he was receiving hundreds of phone calls from Bar Rescue fans who were asking if he had any rooms available for the night. <laughs> so it was a funny thing. I guess the fans sort of stuck up for me, and everybody just harassed the heck out of the poor guy. And uh, 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 he didn't change the name, though. It's still called Canyon Inn, and it's still open from what I understand. His name was Paulie. Then I moved to Hogtied Hams, which is Angry Hams in Boston, actual Framingham, Massachusetts. And this was another big moment in production. I go in and I meet the owners in their office, Corey. And I tell them that, listen, if I'm going to do this, I've got to take control of the place and I might change the name. They said to me, I'm not changing the name. Then I said, I'm not going to do it then. And I walked out. Well, what I know is the guys in the production trailer go, freaking nuts, we have no show. <laughs> so I completely walked out, and I was prepared not to do it, and that was another dose of reality for the production companies. And, uh, uh, of course, when I walked away and started walking down the block, they chased me, and they did come after me. And I did go back, and we did Rescue, and it was a great episode. Then I'm going to skip a couple. The next one that comes to mind is Broke Back Sheep which was the public house in Cheviot, Ohio. And that was, a, 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 I called it Black Sheep because that's sort of what the bar was like. They were losing $1.50 every time they sold the hamburger. It was incredible. Oh, jeez. So we turned that into the public house. And Scott, who's the owner, uh, I speak to often, always emails me. And those of you who follow me on social media will see Scott. He always keeps in touch with us. 
Well, that was season two. Now, we've got through most of the story. Season three began with the famous Spirits on Bourbon episode. And the Spirits on Bourbon episode was, uh, uh, um, of course, one of our more famous episodes with the Resurrection Cocktail. But what people don't know is we shot the reveal on Halloween night on Bourbon Street, Corey. Oh, man. So I'm standing up on those second-story balconies. You know those balconies that they have on Bourbon Street? Yeah, yeah. And as I'm standing up there, it was only really the the early days of Bar Rescue. So it wasn't like I was famous. People didn't know who I am. So I'm standing on this balcony, and women are throwing beads at me saying, (laughs) take out your penis. Take out your penis. And (laughs) that was how we shot that episode amongst all the chaos of Halloween. From that one and Bourbon Street, I went to Austin, Texas for the episode called Rockin' Roaches to meet – Honestly, the, my least favorite owner of all time, who was the owner of that bar, uh, uh, which was called, I don't even remember what the name of it, uh, Headhunters. That's what it was, Headhunters. And in a Back to the Bar episode, we uh, busted him not paying his employees and brought his employees to him. And Boy, if there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that if you don't take care of the legal matters that affect your business, you risk everything you've worked so hard to build. You know, I've needed a lot of legal advice over the years with leases and disputes and, you know, what are the consequences of things that could happen? And lawyers are really expensive. Are you going to pay $300 per hour just to chat with a lawyer? No way. Here's a solution for great legal advice at a reasonable cost. BizCouncil.com. BizCouncil gives you a dedicated business attorney for unlimited advice at hugely reduced fees. So if you have complex legal work that needs to be done, BizCouncil will reduce the price for that work by at least 50%. And anytime you have a legal question, anytime you're going to sign a contract, anytime you're going to hire or fire people, fact of the matter is BizCouncil.com can help you. For just $59 per month, you'll have no excuse for not having an outstanding attorney by your side. This is a great program. Sign up today, and BizCouncil will give you a free month. Go to bizcouncil.com slash Taffer, and I'll make sure you got all that free month of attorney services. Protect your business now and protect your future now. Give yourself some peace of mind. bizcouncil.com, B-I-Z-C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com slash Taffer. bizcouncil.com slash Taffer. From there... We went to the famous horse episode, and this was the one where the horse walked into the bar, and this was an amazing episode because this was the first time ever in bar rescue history. I came in at night, Corey. I met the owner and his wife. Okay. We sat. We talked. They were so freaking drunk that I had to stop talking to them and walk out. In the morning when I came back, they didn't remember meeting me. Oh, that's how drunk they were. (laughs) Holy crap. And that was the famous episode where the horse walks into the bar. What was amazing about Bar Rescue is we tell bar owners to be natural, do what they normally do. And we got to fake them out. So the only way I can fake them out is by showing up before they think I'm coming or by making them think I'm not coming at all. So we do all sorts of tricks. We'll hang up extra lighting, stage lighting. And then I'll have my crew start to pull the lighting down, and they'll say, nope, John went to another bar. Sorry, he's not coming. And the minute we start pulling the lighting down, then they start acting like themselves, right? The booze comes out, and and everything becomes real. Sometimes they think I'm coming tomorrow, maybe, and then I show up today. 
Sometimes they think, if Taffer comes, he'll be here at 10 o'clock tonight, and I walk in at 8 o'clock. So I do a lot of things to catch them being honest, you know, and being truthful. And it's it's difficult. So in the horse bar, in the bar with a, a, a horse, which was uh, uh, the barbecue bar, uh, we said to them, do what you normally do. And Russell Davis uh, and I are sitting out, and we're sitting in the car, and son of a gun, they brought this horse into the bar. The horse shit on the floor, <laughs> slipped, almost fell in it, and then they took it out of the bar when we were angry, and it was sort of inhumane. So I must tell you, I was really pissed off at it. It's like a time. circus. But then they never took the shit out. They left it sitting on the floor as people were drinking and eating in the place. Anyway, that was, and I'm not sure if it still is, that was our highest rated bar rescue uh, of all time, at least when that episode aired. And then how about the meat sauna episode? That was my least favorite on it with the Scottsdale Comedy Club. And that was an interesting story. When I walked into the bar and it was a meat sauna, you were covered in smoke the second you walked in. Then we moved to Don't Judge a Booze by Its Bottle, which was in North Carolina. That was the first time we ever did dueling DJ booths. Then I'm looking at through so many of them. You know, and then we did the Mechanical Bull in New Jersey and Beer and Loathing in Las Vegas. And then we made two bars out of one bar. And then Hurricane Sandy happened. And we went to, after Hurricane Sandy, I went to the Tuberty family. And we did the episode that's called Hurricane John versus Hurricane Sandy. And I met then one of my favorite families that I've ever met, the Tuberties. And we rebuilt their bar in Far Rockway. And it was the first bar rescue that I ever did. For an owner who, in fact, was successful, not unsuccessful, right? Because these guys, Corey, made millions. Right, yeah. The storm leveled it on them. So we had a couple of weeks. We built the place really quickly, opened it up, and they were really good operators. And I was really happy that we beat their original numbers after we reopened. They own now about 20 places in New York City. They're really, really successful. Oh, wow. And they're one of my favorite families from Bar Rescue. We communicate all the time. And uh, uh, I'm extremely proud of them. Moving down the line, we went into Nashville. We then went to another one called Brawling Babes, which was uh, called Long Shots. And then we landed in another bar that was really, really interesting to me in Kansas City. And this was a bar that was called Twin After Twin. This bar was owned by two twin brothers. Corey, imagine this. They worked together in this bar. But they hadn't spoken in nine years. And they're twins. And they're twins. So one would say to the other one, uh, I'll get the broom. That was okay. But they would never talk about their families or have any kind of personal conversation wow. at all. And one of the brothers, and forgive me, I can't remember the name. One of the brothers was the worst challenge ever for, for my audio team. He would talk like this. So he would talk like that. So when I'm sitting with him, I'm constantly leaning in to try to understand what he said. We had to put captions under him in the episode. And it was amazing. Nobody could understand what the guy was saying except for his twin brother. His twin brother understood, understood him. He was my favorite part of that episode. I beat the hell out of these guys, and I made them come together. I actually broke down the barriers of their relationship. The next Christmas, I don't know, four or five months after we shot the episode, I get photographs from them together at Christmas with oh, their wow. families together. And those are the greatest moments of Bar Rescue. Yeah. It isn't about the bars. It's about the people.
Then from there, I went to Hostile Takeover, which is one of the greatest bar rescue episodes ever, in my opinion. I'm sitting in an SUV with two of the three owners. One of the owners is in the bar, and he's really drunk and acting like a jerk. And I'm sitting with the two owners in the bar. And I say to one of the owners, how much of this do you own? He says, 30%. The other one says, how much do you own? He says, 30%. Well, you guys own 60%. Hostile takeover. Go in and throw this guy out. So we did. And the person we threw out's name is Jerry. Jerry Dahmer. And Jerry, when we remodeled his bar, it became Sorties. Corey, one of my favorite remodels, actually. We had an Air Force plane in it that had a wing coming out into the bar. And the wing of the plane was actually a drink rail. Jerry was one of the owners who I beat up more than anyone else. And Jerry is probably one of the people I'm closest to this day. I hear from Jerry all the time. I heard from him just the other day. From that episode was one of my funniest moments ever with Tiffany Derry. And those of you know, Tiffany Derry is a chef who I work with. James Beard, winning chef. And Tiffany's a dear, dear friend. That was the famous raccoon episode, Corey, where the raccoon fell from the ceiling. Well, what nobody knows is we went out to a store and I bought a stuffed raccoon. And when Tiffany was working in the restaurant (laughs) under the kitchen, which she wasn't looking, I just picked up the raccoon, threw it at her, and screamed, Raccoon! And she freaked and was one of my greatest moments ever in bar rescue kidding around behind a camera was watching tiffany freak out as this stuffed raccoon was coming towards her she thought it was the real raccoon up in the ceiling well then from that one we went to grow some meatballs which was the episode that had the kitchen fire in it and that was an amazing thing i'm working with colin a uh, colin and, and colin was my chef on that episode and we're standing in front of the fryer and it catches on fire and the fire is growing, so we pour salt on it. Fire is still growing. We put a rag on it. Fire is still growing. So now we got to pull out the fire extinguisher, which when you fire it, the entire room is filled in this purple dust. And then we had to shut down the bar, and that episode was when we created the cocktail, the John Fire. <laughs> and uh, 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 that sold all around the country. And that was some of my favorite ones. Then, interestingly enough, episode 340 in the middle of that season is what they called the lost episode. And the lost episode was actually the pilot. Nobody really knows that. And when I shot the pilot, I had no idea what I was doing. So I show up, and there's all these wires going down the corridor, Corey. So I say to the owner, how do you run a place like this? You got wires every blah, blah, blah. And then production whispers in my ear, those are our wires. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I can't. Then 15 minutes later, I'm looking at this huge camera built in the side. You know, why can't you get new security camera? And it was our camera. Anyway, <laughs> that was uh, uh, the pilot. And when we aired it, people really liked it. But that was my very, very first bar rescue episode. And I'm going to talk about two more, uh, which were actually two of my favorite. There was an episode where I, where I, I uh, rescued a Puerto Rican bar owner who had a Puerto Rican-themed bar concept, and this guy berated his sons. I've never seen anything like it. And he was a Puerto Rican DJ who played at Puerto Rican events and was part of Puerto Rican community, and his DJ name was El Comandante. So you'd book El Comandante for your events. So when I get to the bar, I've never seen a father abuse his children like this. Well... I wasn't there 10 minutes when I said to him, El Morante. And I called this guy El Morante for four days. And it was one of the most difficult rescues I ever did because he just would not back down. Finally, the third day, 
El Morante just let it go. And he was hysterical crying next to me behind the bar, hugging his children. And, you know, sometimes you got to break somebody. You know, the Marines do it in boot camp. Prisons do it. Sometimes you got to break somebody and break them down and then build them back up again. And we hear that all the time. But that episode and the title of it is El Morante is, is one of my uh, uh, greatest transformations. Uh, El Morante did become El Comandante again when he earned the respect of his kids. And from that one, we went to <laughs> the loudest episode ever, which was Anything You Can Yell, I Can Yell Louder, which was with the McGowan brothers in Queens, and that was the Jack's Firehouse episode when these guys screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed at each other. It was then, that was about the 120th episode of Bar Rescue, that my life started to change, Corey. And I started to really see, you know, the impact that the show was having on people. Right. And not only that, I saw the impact it was having on me. And one day I realized, wow, nobody ever blames anything on themselves in Bar Rescue. The employees blame it on the manager. The manager blames it on employees. You know, the owner blames his revenues on competition, the economy. I had a bar owner in Detroit who blamed their failure on a grease on, on the euro in Greece, for Christ's sakes, Corey. So people find incredible excuses. And it was after that particular episode that it dawned on me because every brother was blaming everybody else. And then they were blaming their father who had passed away. They even blamed the fire department at times for their own failure. So after that, I came up with the concept of don't BS yourself, crush the excuses that are holding you back my book. And it was from that particular episode and looking back uh, um, at all of those episodes to realize how much I had impacted the people who I had interacted with and how much excuses had negatively impacted their life. That was approaching the, about the 100th episode of Bar Rescue. And that was a real awakening for me. And uh, when I come back, I want to talk about what Bar Rescue meant to me during those episodes. Talk to you in a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, or how about the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation and moonroof, and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already know it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it things your wallets you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all states. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Well, so at that point, I had done about 100 Bar Rescue episodes. My crew had made me a special video, congratulations on 100th episodes, and every crew member was on it. It meant the world to me. They made that video. They sent all of them shot it on their own, didn't tell me, sent it to the uh, uh, post-production, had it produced, and it's, it's one of my prized possessions. That video is on my phone, on my computer, on my tablet, and it was a special video that the crew made me. 
the network made me a hundred episode video. And everybody said, you know, it's an amazing accomplishment to make it a hundred episodes in television at all. Well, that was heck, 72 episodes or so ago. But it was at that point that, that Bar Rescue changed. And it changed in a number of ways. Contractually, my contract became with the network directly, not a production company. And, and uh, uh, as things evolve, uh, uh, I started to get more control over the creative of the show and the direction of the show. And uh, you know, I think that the next season of Bar Rescue really started to become more personal. And it was more about people than rats and drugs and dirt and bacteria. And, you know, the ratings went up. And after all these years, when I look back at Bar Rescue and realize, you know, what has it meant to me? And, you know, with all the people that I help, Bar Rescue taught me that directness, in fact, is an asset. Honesty is, in fact, is an asset. You know, when I'm in Bar Rescue, I don't have the time to BS people. I'm really direct. I'm really straight. You know, last week I had a meeting with somebody. I was very, very honest with the meeting. I had paperwork in three days. If I wasn't that way, I would have never gotten the paperwork. Does honesty serve you well? Because honesty has served me incredibly well in my life. And what serves you best, political correctness or honesty? When you choose political correctness over honesty, what I learned from Bar Rescue is you don't advance any agenda that way. Because honesty, when it's tossed away in favor of political correctness, means, Corey, I can't exchange anything new with you, can I? No, can't. So I can't advance any idea that way, can I? No. So, you know, if your hair is sticking straight up today and you look like you're a mess, Corey, and politically correct, ah, I'm your boss, I shouldn't say that to you, so I don't. Am I serving you? No, I hope you tell me that my hair is all Well, you know, the fact of the matter is that honesty serves us well. And the greatest part of Bar Rescue is honesty. And I say this to all of you. I am honest with you on television. I don't fake things. I don't lie. I don't set things up. It is honest. I'm honest with the people we deal with in the show. There's no lying. There's no deception. It's straightforward. So I got to ask you. When you put political correctness in front of honesty, does it serve you well? Does it serve us well as a society? Does it advance your career? Does it advance your persona? Does it advance who and what you are? Does it provide you with more knowledge? Does it provide you with more opportunity? The answer to every one of those questions is no. So I have chosen to abandon political correctness in favor of honesty. It was about then in Bar Rescue when that happened to me. It was then that I wrote the book, made the New York Times bestseller list. It was then that Bar Rescue advanced to a different level in storytelling and ratings. And my life changed significantly when I came to the realization that honesty must be more important than political correctness. Sometimes I wish our politicians would be more honest with each other than politically correct. Sometimes I think people who talk to me, I'd love to hear what they say, good and bad. But please, think about what I'm talking about. And I believe that we all win when we put honesty first. And we'll be right back with audience callers in just about a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Shut it down! 
All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's Shut get in it. it. We have Robert who works for a charity that wants to open up a non-profit bar slash bistro, but needs some advice on how to do it right the first time. Aha. Uh-huh. Hi, Robert. How you doing? Hi. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I see that you're – I'm just reading a note that you sent to me. By the way, if anybody wants to send a note, you can send it to podcast at johntaffer.com, which is, I'm guessing, what you did, Robert. And so you, 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 you've you found a business in downtown Denver, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a restaurant. Yes. And you're looking to open yes. it uh, as a nonprofit or for a nonprofit or in conjunction with a nonprofit, but as a nonprofit entity. And uh, yep. uh, you got a, apparently an outstanding deal in rent. And, and let me share a couple of thoughts with you. Uh, um, but first, let me have you ask your question so that uh, make sure that I'm hearing it in your words. Oh, definitely. I mean, the trouble that we're having is that we'd be brand new to the whole industry. Um, we've not to entrepreneurship in any way, but to the bar and restaurant scene. So we're trying to find things, you know, and there's tons of information out there, but knowing which information good is good and which information is bad, it's kind of where we're running into, you know, so we're, we're not afraid of studying and learning as much as we can, you know, prior to just opening it up, but we didn't want to just kind of do a guess and check method on uh, opening our own bar and bistro. Does that make sense? So we're trying to find uh, more information or, you know, that's obviously why we looked you up and, you know, we're a huge fan. We've seen all your show, but we don't want to end up in that spot that we see a lot of individuals that are new bar owners and new Mm -hmm. bistro owners um, get into. Does that make sense? It does. So let me ask you a question. Why would a charitable organization want to open a restaurant or a bistro? Of all the things that you could do, why that? Um, we're just trying to find any way that we can. We want to create a program, basically, that raises money to give children presents every year, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Not just random presents, but presents where they can go online and kind of ask Santa himself for specific gifts that they actually want, right? These um, gotcha. underprivileged children. Well, it sounds does like, that make sense? It does. It sounds like a wonderful cause. Let me, let me share with you a couple of thoughts. Uh, uh, I'm a, I've been on the board uh, of a couple of different organizations. I was on the board of St. Jude's uh, uh, Children's Ranch, Ranch for Children. Uh, I'm currently now on, on the board of Cleveland Clinic of Nevada, Keep Memory Alive. And, you know, opening a restaurant and signing a lease and having that kind of commitment is really scary to your cause. If you don't make money, you're not only not going to have money for the kids, but you're going to wind up with debt if it doesn't work. That's really scary. And you're getting into a business that you don't know so much about. I have a solution that I think sort of allows you to put your foot in the water. You know, we do annual galas. And these are major events. We get a local celebrity or a performer. You know, we have our Keep Memory Alive Gala here in Nevada uh, uh, with with Cleveland Clinic. And we have Lionel Lionel Richie playing uh, on next month. And in that one gala, we'll sell hundreds and hundreds of tickets. Uh, uh, we have chefs donating time, mixologists donating time, and we created a really great event, and we'll raise a bunch of money uh, around that event. We'll do an auction that night uh, to raise additional dollars uh, um, in addition to the, to the fees uh, of the gala. So if you did that and you had a successful gala once a year and you proved that you could get people to come, and you prove that, that it's profitable and that you've developed the lists and the network and the ability to, to get people to engage and participate with you at that gala once a year, from that, 
You could move into twice a year. You could move into a gala in another city. And you wouldn't have the lease, the liability, but you'd still have the event, the social engagement. And honestly, I think you'll wind up with more money because you don't have the cost. It's all one night. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm writing everything down that you're saying. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and, and more, see if it works. See if it works and then go from there. And I'll tell you, uh, please send us a note to Corey with uh, the name of your organization, and uh, I'll make certain that we make a contribution so that we can make some kids smile along with you. Thanks, Robert. Wow. Wow, thank you. Pleasure. Best of luck, buddy. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. All right, John, we have Joe on the line. Uh Hi, I see you're up in Nova Scotia, Joe. Yes, John. Yes. Nice to talk with you. It's funny. I used, I did a, a, a Sheridan Hotel up there many, many years ago, and, and it, it's beautiful up there. You live in a very, very special place, Joe. Yes, we love it here. Good seafood. <laughs> the best. <laughs> little cold. You need a nice heavy coat, but I think it's worth it. It's, it's beautiful country and, and you know beautiful ocean and seafront, and boy, I love Nova Scotia. So... What yes, we, very lots of tourists come here. Yeah, they should. They should. It's, yeah. it's very special. So, what did you want to ask yes. me today? So, my question: I uh, look around the economy and I see Japan have automated restaurant. Yes, I'm curious if you think this concept will work in America or uh, Canada. It's a good question. You know, Joe, I am one who resists technology that gets between us and a customer when, when we have a sit-down restaurant. You know, I think kiosks in fast food restaurants, you know, like McDonald's, up where you are, Tim Hortons, you know, things like that make sense to me. In a fast food environment, you want it fast, you want it quick, you want it hot, and, and you know, that makes sense. When we start having people in a full-service restaurant, you go out with your wife or your girlfriend, Joe, or friend, and, you know, you sit down and have dinner, and there's no server telling you the specials, and, you know, you got to scroll through pages to see what it looks like, and, you know, the it, it's all of the personal interaction is taken away, and that worries me. But, you know, we have something going on down here in the States that's almost forcing it. And restaurants function typically at a 25 to 30 percent labor cost, meaning we can't spend any more than 25 to 30 percent of all of our revenue on labor. If we do, Joe, we typically don't make money. Perfect. Thank you. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, this was another fun podcast for me, especially when I get to do it from my home studio in Las Vegas. So, Corey, thanks for another good one, buddy. Of course. Thank you all for listening. You know, it's amazing for me to share my bar rescue experiences with you. That show, and I don't get a chance to say this very often, that show not only changed my life as far as you know, making me well-known and giving me some stature in society, it's changed who I am. It's taught me how to deal with people better. It's taught me how to deal with crises better. It's taught me how to do things faster. It's taught me to trust myself more. And it's taught me to trust my instincts with people more. It's been an incredible experience. I'm far better for it. And I thank you all for watching and allowing me to have this great experience. So I'm going to keep trying to give back, Corey. We're in the middle of a new season. Uh, I'm telling you, buddy, we're not about the dirt and the rats anymore. We're, we're about attacking, you know, the most personal issues that hold us all from being successful. Sure, excuses is one of them, but it's just one of many. So 
That'll wrap it up for this week. Great audience calls again, as always. If you'd like to be on the show, just send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will follow up with you. We'll get you on the show, and I'll talk about anything that you want to talk about. And lastly, hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 